0: Open, outspoken, it's Ophthalmology Off the Grid, an honest look at controversial topics in the field. I'm Blake Williamson. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid. I'm joined once again by my co-host, Dr. Ashley Brissett, and today we're going to talk about bringing more humanity into medicine. Most of us would agree that as ophthalmologists, we have great quality of life. But there will always be some bad days, and humor helps us cope with the hard times and allows patients to see our human side. Who better to talk to about today's topic in ophthalmology than our favorite comedian, Dr. Glocken Flecken? Also known as Dr. Will Flannery, listen as our guest talks about the value of being a physician with a great sense of humor, coming up on Off the Grid. Support for this podcast comes from Bryn Maw Communications. BMC produces a number of informative podcast series spanning a variety of topics in ophthalmology. Discover a new show at itube.net slash podcasts. Welcome to another episode of Ophthalmology Off the Grid with your hosts. I'm Blake Williamson here with Dr. Ashley Brissett. And, uh, you know, last episode we took you all the way to Milan to talk about uh, new IOLs are just hitting the, the markets here in the U.S., And with this episode, we're actually going to keep it stateside and uh, talk to a good friend uh, of the podcast. I think this is his second time coming on uh, to talk about something that I find very interesting. Ashley, why don't you talk to us about the topic and, and our guest today?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Blake, and thank you to Dr. Glaucon-Flecken, or as he's told us, we're allowed to call him well for this podcast, Thank you so much for joining us. And this was a topic that kind of started to come up for me because I think we often talk about how ophthalmology is the best specialty. And I really do believe that. I think we have like wonderful days, great outcomes for our patients, and we have a really, really great quality of life and we're surgeons. But there's always some kind of bad with the good. And I feel like that often gets kind of brushed under the rug. And so I wondered how can we start to find the humanity in medicine when we're having bad days? how do we cope with bad days? And one way that I feel like a lot of people often cope with it is through humor. And then that's what kind of brought me up um, to speed with your Twitter and your TikTok is you've done a really, really nice job of finding that fine line between humor and finding the humanity. So that's why we wanted to talk about this today. And I know you've probably talked about this a lot on other podcasts or, um, or another thing. So I just love to hear how you got started in, in finding the humor in all of it.
2: Yeah, well, uh, thanks for having me on. And, and I, I have talked about this topic, but never with ophthalmologists, which is really exciting.
1: Oh, my gosh. Which is
2: <laughs> great. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've been doing uh, comedy on social media specifically, you know, for about five years now. And uh, the, the longer I've done it, the, the more I realize I, I, how much medicine needs uh, people to specifically physicians to show that side of themselves, to show uh, that they have a sense of humor, that they're just regular people, uh, you know, just like anybody else. Um, and uh, you know, I, I've had the somewhat misfortune of being a, a patient as well over the last you know few years. And uh, and I also realized that you know patients want their doctors to feel that, to seem human, to seem like they have, you know, normal. Uh, Fears and anxieties and successes and failures and and like they're just just like you just like you and me, and so um, I, I think that uh, using humor just helps break down the walls that have been put up for decades between the persona that doctors are supposed to have and the general public, and and that's it's a barrier that needs to come down because physicians aren't. We don't need to be the infallible beings that, that never make mistakes because that's not us. We do make mistakes. And I think, uh, and, and we do have personalities. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to accomplish, uh, at least part of what I'm trying to accomplish um, with my comedy on social media. I'm also trying to make people laugh. Like that's that's another thing that's a goal of mine. Uh, hopefully I accomplish that. But yeah, the, uh, the bringing humanity into medicine is a big part of it.
1: Yeah, I definitely would agree that you are helping people laugh, so you're you're definitely accomplishing your goal with that. And I think it's really interesting what you say about actually having us starting to talk about this, because I think in not talking about some of the darker sides of medicine or some of the things that we go through day to day actually breeds people more fearful to actually show their vulnerability within medicine. Um, and so I think in finding the humor in all of it sometimes is a way to really then share in our experiences.
2: Yeah, and there's, you know, there's, there's limits to what you can do as a physician and using humor and social media. And and that's, that's when you're getting back to the line that you that you try to balance on, uh, you know, because as doctors, we do have a code of professionalism that that we have to honor, you know you know, so I have rules for myself and I tell people and I, when I talk about kind of using comedy as a physician, there are things that you don't do, uh, and, and, you know, lines that you don't cross, but, um, it's, it's easy not to cross those lines. It's easy not to make fun of patients or, or make light of situations you shouldn't make light of, um, because in medicine, oh, there's, there's just so much material. It's just, it's just ridiculous. I mean, we have these very unique interesting jobs, uh, that, uh, and experiences that nobody else really has. And uh, and so it's it's really not that hard to find those little moments, those little you know, idiosyncrasies and interesting things that we experience on a day-to-day basis uh, and, and poke fun at it.
1: Yeah, and I think it all kind of brings us together in the end because it's a shared laughter. And I feel like some of the content you've been creating lately with your TikToks Is really created for other doctors, where we can kind of like look back to those times in our internships, um, you know, or even as medical students rotating through, and just think back to these shared experiences that we've all had across across medicine.
2: Can you tell that I that I had some traumatic experiences as a med student? Is it does it come across in some of these TikToks? Because <laughs> like it's been what it's been like 10 years and, and I you know still vividly remember some of these things. Because every TikTok, every video I put out there, there's some nugget of truth in there, something that happened to me that allowed me to like, expand on that idea.
1: And what's amazing about it is that you have doctors of a younger generation chiming in saying, oh my gosh, this is so true. And then doctors of a much older generation saying that that's true. So it's almost just so pervasive in our medical culture, um, these, these things and these topics and idiosyncrasies, as you call them, that come up.
2: And all over the world. Like I, I hear from people from, from other continents, other countries that, that are like, oh, this is the this is same thing. All neurosurgeons are the same, apparently. So it's, it's been really interesting to to hear from people in completely you know separate parts of the world.
0: Yeah, I remember one time you uh, well, I think it was maybe on the last podcast. I think it was you that told me this that you're speaking about other specialties and and you know, trying to decide which one to go into. Um, you know, you or someone were someone was speaking to a room of of young uh, doctors uh, and said trying to talk about ophthalmology. You said, "Who here likes to do surgery? Raise your hand." And then, "Who here likes to sit down? Raise your other hand." If you have two hands up, go into ophthalmology. Yeah, basically uh, and I th- that's I right that was, i think that was you that talk, and I've, yeah, I've, I've repeated yeah. that so many times and i'm like that that's just it's that easy i mean it's very right. reasonable the,
2: the, 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 the last thing is you know our eyeballs gross that's that's yeah. the last criteria if, if you're okay with eyeballs this there's, there's nothing else in medicine for you you have to be an, <laughs> an ophthalmologist
1: that's wonderful and one thing i did want to ask you about because you know these have been gaining um great feedback from people, like you said, all across the US, but across different continents as well. Um, But there's always pushback with anything that we do on social media. I feel like there are always people that are gonna have a problem with any kind of content that's put out. Um, And I hate to talk about it, but unfortunately I know you've been the brunt of that two times, um, once with um, your avatar on Twitter and then a second time with somebody questioning whether we should be laughing if we're doctors. Um, oh, and I wonder, how do you deal with that? Like, how do you manage that when your goal is really just to make people laugh and bring humanity and people see a negative side to it?
2: Oh, it's, it's happened way more than twice. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, something that whenever you have a large enough following on social media and you, you do something that's a little bit against the grain, which I would, I would say using comedy and medicine is a little bit against the grain. It's just not something a lot of people do. Uh, you're, you're going to, get some some pushback uh because it's people aren't used to seeing it and it's um it's a little bit different a little bit off the wall and uh and and what i've learned is is not to take all of that to heart um and it was hard yeah you know starting out it's something you gotta kind of learn how to do so initially you know whenever i had a smaller following and when i'd get negative feedback i'd really kind of focus on it argue with people and i you know it just Make, make a bigger deal out of it than I think it actually was. And now you know I still get a little bit of negative feedback. I don't get as much because I've learned what I can say and what I shouldn't say. Um, so I, I, I'm more able to, to um, somewhat censor myself, uh, but I just I know I just have a better idea what's appropriate, what's not appropriate and what what won't get me into trouble. That's part of it. But the other part of it is um, just realizing that you're not going to please everyone. And, uh, and you gotta, if, if, if you get far more positive responses um, than negative, then I feel like I'm doing, doing the right thing.
0: Have you used any of that humor and sort of transferred that to your actual practice with like actual patients? Like, like if I saw you in clinic, like, you know, or if my mom went to see you for cataract yeah. evaluation, would she be like laughing the whole time during her cataract <laughs> eval or is that stop at the workplace?
2: uh I, I use it a little bit but it's it's very different it's a lot more dad jokey type you know horny jokes uh you know because as you guys know our patient population not quite kind of the, the TikTok generation um the the twitter generation you know older patients you know 60s 70s 80s they just have a, a little bit of a different uh sense of humor sometimes and so i it's i do use a uh, humor but it's uh, not quite the same. And I have my go-to jokes, you know, like we all do. We all have little things that we say <laughs> over and over again that either always get a laugh or get a smile out of patients. And which I, I think is really helpful in a surgical specialty, right? Especially when you're, when you're seeing as many patients as we do in clinic and doing as much surgery uh, on patients that are awake and it's their eye. And so, you know, having something that can ease the tension a little bit uh, just kind of put patients at ease, um, you know, prior to surgery. It's really helpful to have, you know, a few one-liners in your back pocket.
1: Yeah, I know we got to kick this off talking about Clubhouse, and it, I was talking with somebody thinking we should just do a Clubhouse about communication with patients, like all these little pearls that we have about how we explain things to patients or how we talk to them about certain things. Um, because like you said, we repeat the same things over and over day to day and sharing those pearls and, and allowing them to better understand what's going on without being fearful is so important.
2: Yeah, that's something you pick up as you go, right? I mean, it's like uh, the farther you get into your career, you just have, I don't, I don't know when I started saying some of the things I started saying, I just started saying them and, uh, and you just say them for years. And so, yeah, I totally agree with you, You know, hearing from other people. Uh, uh, you know, what they say, I think would be really nice, really helpful.
1: Yeah, I think the beauty of this job is communication as well, just learning how to communicate with people um, for the good and for the bad, you know, even when we think about managing, say, a more difficult patient in the clinic, how do you then communicate with somebody to kind of get them on your level and and to get them calm again?
0: Yeah, I'd say that, uh, you know, the, the biggest problem with communication is the illusion that it occurred. You know, it's it's a quote quote that always stays with me. Um, And using humor, as we talked about, especially to navigate difficult patient conversations, I think is a great skill. Um, I'd be curious if you have any like specific um, one-liners that you use to sort of navigate a situation. I'll throw one out there that that I do all the time. Um, That that patient that comes in, let's say for like a MIGS procedure, and um, uh, let's say they've already had uh, cataract surgery and they're pseudophagic and they come in and they need some help with their IOP. Um, I always like to talk about that this, this procedure that I'm doing is likely not gonna be like their last procedure. Cause patients think, especially if they're pseudophagic, they think like, oh, I'm having another surgery. Well, well this is the last surgery cured my cataracts. This is gonna cure my glaucoma, right? And that's, that's the time where I have to talk about glaucoma as a chronic progressive disease for which there is no cure, right? Uh, so, so I always tell them like, oh, actually, you know, this isn't going to cure disease. It's just a treatment. And this likely won't be the last one. And they're kind of like, whoa, they, they kind of tense up and and they're like, wait a second, you know, what do you mean? And I'm like, yeah, I'm probably going to have to operate on you again after this, maybe even two times. And and they're like, oh my God. And I say, because I expect you to live until you're 127, you know, (laughs) and they get a, they get a giggle out of that. And their, their husband or wife is, they get a giggle out of it. But like really what I'm saying is like I'm kind of like impressing upon them that I may have to operate on you a couple more times, depending on how you do with this surgery. But I was using humor and telling them that they're gonna live forever, basically, to kind of lighten what I really was wanting them to, to know, you know?
2: Yeah, that's a that's a that's a great line. That's really good.
1: I feel like you can say anything with the Southern Draw Blake and, <laughs> and get away with it too. So <laughs> I just
2: yeah, I, I'll say, um, you, know, I, you know, whenever I'm you know, signing someone up for cataract surgery talk, going through the details of surgery, I'll, and I can tell they're kind of tense, or they're just not sure, you know, I'll say, okay, well, we'll do your first eye, and then we'll be doing your second eye a week or two later, and then uh, a week or two after that, we'll do your third eye, and then that, they, <laughs> I usually get a, a pretty, a little chuckle out of that.
0: <laughs> Ashley, do you have any of those, any one-liners that you use?
1: I'm not
0: as funny as you guys. One more that I do that, that that I talk about a lot is, is I just, and this came up just now, my last patient in clinic, she was like a minus 12, uh, in both eyes just, and she, you know, I did cataract surgery on her one eyes, 2020, the other, eye is like 2030 minus, you know, and she's like one week post-op and I'm thinking she's gonna be ecstatic. And you walk in, she's like, what's wrong with the 2030, uh, you know, and I, I basically told her, You know, uh, one thing I do is talk about how we have two eyes and two ears and how we're supposed to keep them both together uh, or both open uh, in order to work properly. So I said, listen, I'm going to touch your ear. And I actually put one hand over one of her ears. And I say, this sounds completely different than this sounds. And I take my my hand off the off of her ear. And she notices that it does sound completely different. So I say, see, God gave you two eyes and two ears. He wants you to keep them both open. And they and they kind of they kind of giggle. So so I always kind of explain to them that we don't want to be doing the refractive salute of covering one eye and then the other. Just let let you know use both eyes together. And that's what's how you're gonna see. Again, this is just week one post op. So you know, certainly down the round, if there's a refractive thing we need to touch up, that's different. But just doing that little thing where I'm, you know, covering the ear, like they just get a giggle out of it. And it makes it so much, makes my job so much easier as opposed to obsessing over, oh, well, this eye is kind of a little bit of a myopic surprise and, you know, going down that, that path when you probably don't need to week one, you know.
2: Yeah, that's, I'm actually going to steal that. That's, that's pretty good. I like that.
1: We could do a whole other (laughs) podcast about pearls of communication. This is great. And,
2: and and part of it also is, is reading the situation, you know, especially like when you're using humor uh, in a patient physician interaction, you know, really actually using humor in any situation understanding what the temperature of the room is like, you know, uh, and is, is it an appropriate time to, to tell a joke? Is, and that's, I think that's something that comes with kind of the, the more you do it and, and the longer you're practicing, you kind of get, get a sense for, you're able to read people a little bit. And that's, that's actually, I think a big part of what we do, honestly, especially when we're talking about very sensitive subjects.
1: Yeah, I agree. So can I ask you, you know, we talk about some of the highs and lows of what we do in medicine. Um, how do you manage some of the lows? So if you've had a bad day or if you've had a complication in the operating room, what do you personally do to help manage that that might help other people out there when they're feeling the same way?
2: I, I've always found it easier to talk about it. And I, I really think people, we should all be talking about it. That's one thing that, um, you know, a lot of people don't do in medicine because we, again, as physicians, we have this feeling like we need to be perfect all the time. And so you don't hear a lot of conversation about surgical complications. And uh, whether it's in the resident room with your other residents, or, you know, with um, a a colleague on the phone or with your family, it's just, it really you can't just stew about it and keep it in. You got to talk about it and talk through it. And, and, uh, and I have found that tremendously helpful um, in private and also talking about it on social media. And that's, that's actually, I, I wish people would do that more. And I think you can do that in a way that's, that's still like protecting patient information, but, but also uh, putting it out there that, hey, this is, this is something that happens. And if you operate, you're going to have this happen to you. This not, this is not something that's, you know, a, you know, that, that never happens. And, and I think, um, you know, starting those conversations publicly can be really valuable.
1: Yeah, I agree. When we kind of share in this, um, in these shared moments, it allows other people to open up and be more vulnerable as well. Once they hear that we've all had similar experiences. And this idea of perfectionism, I agree with you, it should kind of start to go by the wayside. So I really love
2: that. It's so nice too, whenever you're at like a conference, when we used to go to conferences.
1: <laughs> and
2: I because I remember as a resident, you know, I would just watch the presentation after presentation of these these unbelievable surgeries, you know, by Ike and whoever just doing just outrageous things. And then and then whenever you'd see a talk where they'd actually show like someone who just broke the capsule. And, and then what happened? Like, that was great. Uh, those are the, like, it was, it was really interesting. And then hearing the surgeon talk about what happened, what they did, like, we need to be talking about surgical complications more uh, because we can all learn from each other.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Call the friends, like, you know, talk about it. If something happens, like you said, if you operate enough, you will have complications. It's something that happens to everybody. And even I find difficult patient encounters. And sometimes it's nice to speak to other doctors and and see, you know, maybe another way to handle it or what you should do next or try something next. And I'll often text or call, you know, doctors that I know in, in different states, like, you know, even you, Blake, and say, what would you do in this situation? And just sometimes getting a, another opinion from someone can be helpful too.
0: Yeah, I uh, I recommend uh, when this when when these things happen, a tall glass of wine or a cold beer, and a good conversation with your retina specialist, because <laughs> because yeah, right. nine times out of ten they're going to be the one helping you fix whatever you messed up. And 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 besides that, their day is way worse than our day ever is. You know? so so I have <laughs> a very, perspective. very yeah, it puts it in perspective for you when, when when I tell him what I just did, he goes, "Wait, is that it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, that's it." <laughs> He's like, well, I think we're going to survive, and you know, it's tough. It, this happens, man. Um, I'll just I'll open up and share that. Last week, I had a patient who was NLP in one eye due to trauma, and I did the cataract on on, on her other eye. She literally drove an hour and a half to see me specifically for cataract surgery, and I broke the capsule. Um, she uh, ended up uh, ended up getting a, a lens in the sulcus, and it was fine. But she had some retained cortex, and you know, tons of you know, she had the IOP spike. I left some too much viscode in there, and she had some corneal edema and. Um, you know, it was, it was, it was horrible for me because on day one, she's losing it. And, and like notably, I mean, I mean, I, understandably so. Um, and so, you know, I, I didn't sleep very well that night. This is her only eye and, you know, the whole thing. And you feel horrible about it. Um, and, and you look at the video and there's nothing you would have done differently. I don't understand. I don't see why it happened. Uh, my technique was the same the whole time. And, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things where I think that what helped me, um you know firstly it's just being calm in the moment you know one thing that my dad always taught me is you know finish the case strong you know it, it doesn't matter if a plane crashes through the through the OR you know get through the case and finish the case as best you can and then just kind of open up and be totally honest with the family and and you know that's what I did the next day I showed them the diagram and showed them the weak spot in the capsule but hey you know what we still got the cataract in and we still have a lens here and yes she's swollen and yes she is 2200 or whatever she was, but you know, each day it's going to get a little better and, and, you know, with the proper, uh, you know, drops and stuff like that. And so she's improved and get, gotten this week. She's obviously much better and way more functional, but it's just a tough spot to be in. Um, uh, and I think that just being able to, to be open and honest and transparent, having a family member in that room is super helpful, you know, to show them what you got going on. Um, and just more than anything, let them know that you have a plan. You know, they don't want to, they can be nervous, that's fine, but you can't be nervous, at least not in front of them. You know, they want to know, you know, what's going on, you have a plan and that we're going to get better, you know?
1: And keep them close and see them frequently for post-op, you know, even if they want to come every couple of days, every day, just you know, seeing them more frequently than you would otherwise. I think the natural tendency is to not want to deal with it and push it away. Um, but anytime there's a computation, bring the patients in more often than you even think that you should and develop that relationship. And and like you said, Blake, you kind of get through it with them and, you know, you come up with a plan and you get there together.
2: Yeah, Blake, I really like what you said about, uh, about making sure that they know the plan because I think uh, why patients get so upset and scared is just the fear of the unknown. Like they, like, what, what does this mean? What, you know, I I understand that this is not what was supposed to happen, but what, what does, where do we go from here and having an explicit plan? If this happens, this is what's going to, what we're going to do. If this happens, this is what we're going to do. These are the two or three next steps. That's that's just, it's all just comes back to communication, right? Just telling everything, you know, everything, uh, you know, even if uh, you don't know if the patient really needs to hear it, they need to hear it, especially if you're in a situation like that that's a little bit complicated uh, and just uh, communicate, communicate.
1: Yeah, I agree. And well, I kind of wondered, so when you started with Twitter, when you started with TikTok, um, what was your intention? And then what have you gotten out of it that you never expected to get out of it?
2: Well, my intention was to, uh, at first was just to entertain myself during Arvo. So, um, I was, you, I was just, you go to
0: Arva? What, what are you
2: going was, to go to ARVA? I was a resident, man. I was, <laughs> it was, I was a resident. I, I had to do a research project. I was bored out of my mind and no offense to anybody who really enjoys going to ARVA. I'm glad there are those of you out there that enjoy research. We need, we need you guys out there, but I could not stand it. It was so anyway, I just, I was like, I gotta, I gotta do something. I, I'm here for like three days. So I started this Twitter account. Uh, and I, I was like, what's the funniest uh, word in ophthalmology that I can think of? It's like, oh, Yeah, I thought Dr. Denesis was just a little bit too much. So um, I went with uh, glockenfleckin. But at first it was just, it really was just to tell jokes because I, I had a, a pretty uh, strong history in stand-up. I, was, I had done a stand-up comedy for quite a while, and, um, but I couldn't do it anymore. Uh, and so it just didn't have the time. So I use Twitter as a surrogate pretty much for just because of it, basically what it is like online standup and uh, uh, in, in the format it's in. So um, that's what it was at first was just a way for me to tell jokes, make people laugh, which I love, I've always loved to do. But then as the years have gone by um, now we're like five years later, since I started my account, um, I feel a little bit more responsibility to, to touch on certain things. Um, you know, like like a lot of the things that we're talking about, um, you know, communication, uh, uh, bringing, you know, talking about humanity and medicine, uh, because I, I have a large following and, and I feel like I can, um, bring up these topics while still maintaining, uh, my style of humor. And, and so that's kind of how I've pushed myself to, to, I think, improve my comedy and uh, make it a little bit more impactful uh, because I can tell jokes all day about drusen, uh, which is admittedly not that funny, but, uh, uh, but whenever you try to use your humor and tell jokes in a way that gets people thinking um, about important subjects in medicine, I think is, is really uh, the goal, at least for me at this point.
0: And I think the I think the biggest thing is uh you know the, the, the funniest things are are the most honest things right people say oh that's true that's what makes people laugh so keeping honesty there front and center for both of the good and bad I think is what makes it you know truly funny.
1: One other thing I'd say is it's kind of brought all of us together even it's such been a wonderful way for the medical community to connect and and other ophthalmologists to connect and to get to meet other people especially now you know that people are not conferences and so I've seen it as such a wonderful way for us doctors to really get to know each other on a different level as well.
2: Yeah, there's been, a, I feel like there's been a, a larger influx of of activity on certain social media platforms, specifically Twitter and TikTok, uh, especially in medicine. That's, I mean, it's got to be in part because of the pandemic and none of us can go anywhere. Yeah. Um, and so I, it'd be interesting to see how that changes, you know, as, as people feel more comfortable going out, like, when are we all going to be going back to doing in-person conferences again is that are we always going to have a virtual option because so far the virtual options have have worked pretty damn well (laughs) in in my opinion
0: yeah it looks like it looks like a coast deer valley is on it looks like hawaiian eye is on it looks like they're all on i'm scheduled to go to them so i don't know we'll see all right Uh, i i hope (laughs) i hope they i hope they do go uh i certainly miss i miss seeing everybody that's true yeah yeah well, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Um, so I want to thank everybody for, for listening to episode two of our journey with Dr. Ashley Brissett as co-host of Off the Grid. And I look forward to what's coming up next for our, for our third podcast uh, soon. And most of all, we want to thank uh, Dr. Flecken uh, for taking his time away from Twitter and TikTok and the occasional clubhouse to uh, hang out <laughs> with us on Off the Grid.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you to Ashley and Will for joining me on this episode of Off The Grid, and thanks to our listeners for tuning in. This has been Ophthalmology Off The Grid. Until next time.